kind of do a little bit of a uh, review for, for those that have come in to this series later, or maybe as time has gone on, as we've been in this book for a bit, maybe getting a little foggy on some of the details. But if you could, we'll have a little, we're a small group, so it's okay to interact a little bit, and don't be bashful, and uh, if you don't know answers, that's all right, but I gave you a clue. <laughs> who wrote the book of Acts? Doctor. A, a doctor, Doctor who? Doctor Luke. Dr. Luke wrote it. And so the book of Acts really is part two or the sequel to the gospel of Luke. So Luke wrote Luke, but Luke also wrote Acts. So if you wanted to read the gospel, and the gospel is all the time of Jesus Christ, his birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. And then in Acts, he kind of picks up like part two or the sequel where Christ is, uh, ascends into heaven. And that's where the book of Acts begins. And so with that in mind, if that kind of refreshed your memory a little bit, what did Christ say to his disciples before he ascended? And that gives us the theme of this book or the outline, essentially, of this book. Does anybody know what the theme, the outline, if you want to just maybe you know that uh, key verse or the main verse that would kind of encapsulate the whole book? To make disciples, very close. How can I? How can I argue with make disciples? But it's kind of like saying God for the answer. Yeah. What? All right. Acts one eight. So that's exactly. Can't argue with that. So that's kind of the theme, and it's actually how the book is structured. So he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And that's where these Jews were when this happened. They're in Jerusalem. And so they were his witnesses there in Jerusalem. In Judea, which is the region around Jerusalem. And Samaria, and we read the stories about that, where the Samaritans uh, became their uh, believers. And he says, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the utmost parts of the earth. And then if you remember last week, that kind of brought us into where we saw a Gentile man, a Roman soldier living in a very Roman town who became one of the key uh, Gentile believers. And, and prior to this, again, it's, I think it's important for us to have the history and understand the context of Scripture. But prior to this, people said they believed in Jesus Christ. It was primarily to the Jewish group that go, oh, he's the Messiah we've been waiting for. But then, and for Gentiles to usually come to Christ or come to salvation, they would go become Jews. And then that would be kind of like the door for them. But with this Roman centurion, with this, this Roman soldier, Cornelius, the door of salvation was open to all. And we realize at this point that the door of salvation is Jesus Christ. It's not Judaism. The door of salvation is Jesus Christ. Y'all with me so far? So we kind of got a little bit of a, a fast forward here on what's going on. Um, and, and so just, just by way of a little reminder, maybe you guys could help me. Who are some of the characters or main, even any characters or main characters we've seen 
so far in the book of Acts. Some people here are like, I can name all of them. And other people here are like, oh, was it Moses? But so what we're doing is there's people at all different levels, and the people who have a little more Bible training laugh like, <laughs> other people are like, oh, I didn't know if Moses was in there. We're all at different, Amory, it's not, fun to, it's not nice to make fun of people. <laughs> so we're all at different levels of understanding here, so it, let's just kind of be able to get some names uh, and start to kind of zero in on the book of Acts. Who are some of the characters not characters like, oh, what a character, but some of the people or individuals that we've met so far in this book of Acts. Are a few. Stephen. Okay, Stephen, Peter. Peter so far has been the main guy. He's essentially the guy. Every time there's a new group that gets introduced to Christ, they call Peter in because Peter's kind of like, Peter's like the guy who gives it the thumbs up, uh, lays hands, and the Holy Spirit comes on them. He's the one who got sent to Cornelius, if you remember. He had the special vision we talked about last week, which I'll remind you of. So, Peter, Stephen, what happened with Stephen? Yeah, Stephen got uh, assassinated. Philip. Philip. Philip the evangelist, we know him. He uh, ministered to the Ethiopian on the road. Who else? John, and he was hanging out with Peter quite a bit. Paul. Was Paul a good guy or a bad guy? He started out as a bad guy in our story, right? In the, in the accounts of Scripture. What was his name? What, did, what was his, his name before he was Paul? We knew him as Saul. All right, good job, guys. Anybody else you can think of? Name, let's try and name one or two more. Ananias and Sapphira. Boy, they, they had that, sold some property, and then you remember they're kind of like, oh, yeah. And they gave a little bit to, to the group there, to the church. But then they said, oh, no, we gave it all. And then what happened? Drop dead. Is that because God was mean? No. It's because I believe God, God was protecting his baby church and saying to everybody, I want you to know I take things very serious, and I'm not going to let things right out the gate here uh, go wild. I want people to understand that who I am and that I'm behind this church. All right, good job, guys. I'm impressed. That's encouraging. We're learning here together. And so in last week, we covered a long chapter. I think it was 48 verses it was, chapter 10. We're going to be in chapter 11 if you want to turn there or open your Bible app to, to that. And so for those of you who weren't here last week or not familiar, what happened was God sent an angel to this man Cornelius, the, the Roman soldier who was living in the town of Caesarea, which Roman soldier in a Roman town. The, the town Caesarea sounds very Roman Caesar, right? And so this is a place that the Jews really didn't like Caesarea. They wanted to have nothing to do with Gentiles, this, this, the Romans. They, they wanted nothing to do with them. But God sent an angel to this man, Cornelius, and he said, go send for a man named Peter. He has a message for you. And Cornelius had already had a heart for God and wanted to do what God wanted him to do. So God had been working in Cornelius' heart. And if you remember, we talked last week about the reality that when people come to Christ or people come to salvation, there is a preparation that's going on in their heart. And you can probably think about your own story, and we all have different stories in here, but what that preparation period looked like. Maybe it was through a nice Christian home, and maybe it was through 
uh, on a prison floor. Who knows it? But that's, that preparation in the heart happens in different ways for all of us. And so God had done that work in Cornelius' heart, but God also did a work in Peter, and he gave Peter this vision. I picture it as a big picnic blanket, but he saw a sheet come down with all these different animals that he thought were unclean animals, and God said, eat them. He's like, I'm not eating those. So three different times he had this vision. And God's saying, if I said something's unclean, it's unclean. If, don't call it unclean if I've called it clean. And so God's working in Peter's heart. And so he's, these guys show up and say, hey, our, our, our boss sent for you. He goes, uh, Peter goes, and talks to Cornelius. And what did he tell Cornelius about his vision and about, hey, Cornelius, I'm allowed to eat anything I want. Let's have a bacon fry tonight. And let's do No. He, he gave him the message of Jesus Christ. And so we see that God prepares people who come to salvation, prepares their heart, but he also prepares a messenger and prepares people and matures people and brings them along so that they can bring the message of Jesus Christ. And God provides salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. That was the message that brought Cornelius salvation. And he preached the message of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. That's good news, isn't it? Through belief in Jesus Christ. We all love the idea of forgiveness, especially in our human relationships, right? We want to be forgiven when we do things wrong. We don't want to have to hide it. We don't want to have to bury it. We don't want to have to have it held against us. We love forgiveness. Well, God, our Heavenly Father, has given us forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And so then what happened was the Spirit came upon this Roman soldier and all those who heard the message and believed in Jesus Christ. The Spirit came upon them the same way it says that he had come upon all of the Jews there in Jerusalem. You with me? I know I'm giving a lot, a lot of story here, but it's important for us to be caught up on this because this really is a big transition in the book of Acts because we're seeing it's like kind of like the insiders group. The Jews are allowed to, uh, you know, have this relationship with God through Jesus Christ, but it's like it explodes. The door is wide open now for salvation. And so... Uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and he says, basically gives them a whole new identity, and that's what God does for us when we come to Jesus Christ. We're not, the same, we're not the same old people. He makes us new. He makes us clean. That's why he said born again. We're born into a whole new person. And so that's kind of where we're picking up today, and it, it, we're going to pick up in chapter 11. We're going to try and get through all of 11, and... Uh, again, I think it's important for us to have that context as we dive in. But I want to say we're going to see what happens with this new group, the Gentiles, today. As the Gentiles are being brought in, and this is kind of a new territory for what, what's been happening. Up to this point, it's a, our Bibles are very Jewish books up to this point, whether you understand that or not. It, so it's important for us to understand, like, this is a landmark moment and God has always had his heart for the whole world, but he chose the Jewish people to reach and bring a Savior into the world through the Jewish people. So it's kind of a landmark moment. And we're, what we're going to see is these Gentiles become believers. We're going to see, I believe, what is a great picture of health and maturity for us as believers. And so we're, we're going to see this group that they're, they're brought in. And if you think about it, as a parent... We have a lot of parents in here, but as a parent, and, and I'll just speak for myself, but I think I'm going to be on the same page. I feel like our first primary uh, goal is 
keep the kid alive. Like, <laughs> I'm doing good. If I've done that, and, and I don't say that lightheartedly because, you know, all kind of tragic events happen, but that's our primary thing. Like, we're, we're feeling like a success if we've done that. Like, that's, sometimes that's the bottom line. Like, just keep this kid alive. Like, that's a good thing, right? Um, but then you kind of realize, if you've got that, praise God, the next thing you want is you want to see them mature and grow in a healthy way, right? You want to see them mature. You want to see them grow up without any major issues. But that, even that, is not the end goal for us as parents. I would say the end goal for us as parents is to see our kids begin to function independently and to be contributors, to be giving, to be helping others, to be caring about others, to be benefiting others, not to just have someone who sits down in the basement and thinks about me, 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 me. We don't want that. That's not, our, that's not the ultimate. If we can, we want to keep our kids alive. We want to see them grow and mature in a healthy way. But then we want to see them become people that bless other people. Well, that's a, that's a real picture of what we're going to see here in chapter 11. And so I think there's a lot of application for us in this chapter. Let me pray one more time. Long, long opening, but we've set the stage here. Let me pray. Father, we come before you. I thank you for this book, our Bible, and I thank you particularly for this book of Acts. I feel like the timing that you've allowed us to go through this uh, as a church is perfect in your plan. Help us to be people that would learn from this and that we would want to, like those early disciples, to make your son known throughout the world, throughout our little worlds, our neighborhoods, our families, and our relationships, that we would make your son known. We would be witnesses of him. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to read through, and there's quite a bit here, but I want to read through it, and we'll talk on some of this. Soon the news reached the apostles and the other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. So Peter comes in and says, hey, guess what? The Gentiles have received the word of God. And they're like, ah, 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 not those dirty Gentiles. They criticized them. They said, you entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them, they said. And this is a big deal because one, not just the cleanliness factor, but when you would enter someone's home and eat with them, you were showing a connection with them. You were showing an embrace with them, a oneness with them. It was more than just you touched some bad food and became ceremonially unclean. It was like you've embraced this group of people, they said. And then Peter told them exactly what had happened. This is review we just talked about. I was in the town of Joppa, he said, and while I was praying, I went into a trance and saw a vision. Something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners from the sky, and it came right down to me. When I looked inside the sheet, I saw all sorts of tame and wild animals, reptiles and birds, and I heard a voice say, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. Remember we just talked about this? The picnic blanket, I, I, I say, coming down. No, Lord, I replied. This is what Peter said. I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have de declared impure or unclean. But the voice from heaven spoke again, do not call something unclean if it has been made clean. This happened three times before the sheet and all it contained was pulled back up into heaven. So Peter's going like, I'm not going to eat that. And God's going, 
don't, a voice from heaven, I mean, he heard this voice from heaven say, don't do that. And again, the same thing happens. Just then, three men who had been sent from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were staying. The Holy Spirit told me to go with them and not to worry that they were Gentiles. These six brothers here accompany me, and soon we entered the home of a man who had, been, who had sent for us. He told us how an angel had appeared to him in his home and told him, send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He will tell you how you and everyone in your household can be saved. So he got this message, and his, he's like, they knew that I could bring them the message of salvation. Interesting side note, this is be something. But Joppa was one of those towns uh, that Jonah had a lot to do with. And Jonah, if you know, he was supposed to go give the message to these people that he did not want to give the message to. And here we see kind of a, a, some, some similar parallels there with Joppa. If you wanted to study that out and get into that, might be interesting for some people. Um, as I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he fell on us at the beginning. Remember at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon these people in a visible way that where they could tell the Holy Spirit had arrived? Uh, he says, well, that's exactly what happened to these Roman, this Gentile group. And I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, John kind of predicted that there was going to be this new baptism. And baptism is a way to identify with, and this baptism is kind of like an immersion. And so what he's saying is John baptized with water, but there's going to be something that's going to be a whole different, it's not going to be a water baptism. It's going to be a filling and identity with the Holy Spirit. And so he lets them know that. Um, since God gave the Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? So can you hear Peter making this case to his Jewish friends going, hey guys, I never ate this stuff before. Here I had this vision. God told me to go. I went. The, they believed. They were filled with the Holy Spirit the same way we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And what do you want me to do? God did that. You want to argue with somebody? Argue with God. Who am I to stand in God's way? Like I'm just telling you what happened. You have a problem, talk to God about it, is essentially what he's saying. Then the others heard this. They stopped their objecting and began praising God. And they said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and re receiving eternal life. I'm not crazy about this uh, um, translation here. Repenting on life is some of the translations. I think that's better because this makes it sound like that, that what Cornelius had to do is go, uh, one time I stole something when I was seven. I did a shoplifting thing. and when it, That's not what we're talking about, repenting of sins. The idea is a conversion of heart towards Jesus Christ. We didn't believe in Jesus Christ, and now we do. It was a repenting to life is what it was. And so it is a repentance, but it's a change of heart towards Christ. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. So you remember once Stephen was died and we said everyone scattered, and it was like seeds planted everywhere? Well, they were, but they were only preaching to Jews. So when they went out, they would go into Jewish synagogues, and that's the only people that they were preaching to. And so we're just getting a little background. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers 
who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene, began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus Christ. So now Antioch is going to be a new town. We're going to see it come up again and again. And Antioch is like the third biggest Roman city. So you have Rome, you have Alexandria, and you have Antioch. And Antioch really is what I would say is kind of like the birthplace of the church for the Gentiles. And so we're going to see a lot happen from there. But basically what he's saying is like all of a sudden we realized we could be preaching to the Jews and then some of these guys took it on them to go or preach to the Gentiles. Some of these guys took it on themselves to go preach to the Gentiles. The power of the Lord was with them, these preachers, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. You remember Barnabas, right? We, we didn't mention him earlier, but you remember him. When he arrived and saw evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, strong in faith. Many people were brought to the Lord. So they're like, hey, there's a bunch of Gentiles over here that believe. They're like, go get Barnabas. Send him. So they send Barnabas. And what did Barnabas do? Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. So he stayed there. He strengthened him. He encouraged him. He's like, I need a, I need a partner. And he went and, and looked for Saul. Saul was in his own old hometown of Tarsus. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. During this time, some prophets, which by the way, they weren't typically called Christians. They didn't like, okay, let's think of a cool name for ourselves. You know, should we call ourselves the Rockets? No. Should we call ourselves the Bandits? No. How about Christians? It, what it was, was it was outsiders that began to call them Christians because they saw and identified them as followers of Jesus Christ. And so that's why they were first called in Antioch, they first called them Christians. During this time, some of the prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. In that days, they didn't have all the scriptures, and, and God was prophesying through many different men, and he was even foretelling of events that were going to happen to establish and show, hey, I'm with these people. And so this prophet came, and, and he came and told in Antioch, he was from Jerusalem, his name was Agabus. He stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius, which it's in history books, you could find that information. So here's what happened. The believers in Antioch, now are these believers primarily Jewish or Gentile in Antioch? Gentile. So you have these Gentile believers. They're hearing the news. And so then they hear about this famine. And so the believers in Antioch, these Gentiles, decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, which were Jews. And it says, everyone giving as much as they could. This they did, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take the elders to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. So just kind of taking, I know that was a lot, but let's just take a big step back. Here's what we see in this chapter. We see it with the Gentiles. One, they're brought in, right, and confirmed. And they're, they're like, no, they're not part of it. And then Peter says, here's what happens. They're like, woohoo, they are. Let's accept them. They, they're brought in. And then we see that they're built up. We see Barnabas show up and encourage them and build them up. And then we see that not that they're just built up and they just keep getting built up and taking in and getting filled up, but they become people, just as we talked about, that are productive people, believers, that not, now they've been 
fed, they've been built up, but now they go and bless others. They go back and bless those Jewish brothers. And so really we see the healthy growth process for all of us, for believers in a church. And I believe God is doing something in our church during this period of time. We used to be a super closed off church. If you're an old timer here, you know, we had, a, I would say we had kind of like a closed mentality, like very, um, I called it ingrown. I love our church. I've loved our church all, all along. But that was kind of, I would say, we've grown out of that to become a much more welcoming church. And, and, and I hear that, and I'm encouraged by that. But I believe that God wants to take us from being a welcoming church to being a very going out and loving church. And that's part of our maturity and our process. And so we talk about there's a healthy growth process for every believer and for churches. And this chapter gives us a good picture. So let's talk a little bit about this. They were brought in. First of all, these Gentiles were brought in by faith in Jesus Christ. They were brought in by faith in Jesus Christ. They weren't brought in by a secret handshake. They weren't brought in by giving money. They weren't brought in. They were brought in, as it says, through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's a confidence. That's a dependence. If you have faith in something, you're depending on it. They put their dependence in Jesus Christ not on good works. And, and so they realize like he is the door to salvation. And if you think about it, and I've, I've used this before, and I, I certainly didn't make it up, but just being inside of a garage does not make you a car, right? Or a mechanic. And the fact of the matter is, just being in a church doesn't make you a Christian. Just reading your Bible doesn't make you a Christian. Just giving money doesn't make you a Christian. Just trying to do good doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is putting your faith and dependence in the Savior, Jesus Christ. And so they're brought in first and foremost by God through their faith in Jesus Christ. Beautiful picture. And, and, and if you think about it, once they're in, they're in. They're just as good as the Jews. It's not like they're second-rate Christians. There's not one second-rate Christian in here. Is that good news? We're all on a level playing field. We're all brought into God's family. We're all sons. We're all daughters. Talks about that in John chapter 1. We all are, are allowed to become the family, it says, of God. We become his children through our faith in Jesus Christ when we choose to put our faith in him. And so really the idea of that, it's a, you know, we go from being enemies to becoming his children. And so that's the first and most important thing that people need to be brought in. And that is through faith in Jesus Christ. And then if you're brought in, I would encourage you to settle into your brought inness and realize you're not a second rate Christian. The Gentiles weren't second rate Christians, and the Jews weren't second, and the Sam Samaritans weren't. And there are no second-rate Christians here. You know why? Because we all, the, the price of our salvation was paid, the same price was paid for every single person's salvation in here. I don't care if you're a drug addict for 50 years. I don't care if you're a murderer. I don't care if you were Mr. Missy's goody two-shoes. Jesus Christ, the price of, of, of your salvation was Jesus Christ's death on the cross, and it was the same price for every single person in here. No second-rate Christians. And you're accepted 100% into God's family. M many of you know my birth dad was not my, the dad who raised me. And I'll tell you this. The dad who raised me, 100%, I, 
I was his own. There was no discrepancy in my mind, in anybody else's. I don't think in his. It wasn't like, yeah, kind of a second-rate kid here. Uh, and that's how it is with God times infinity. <laughs> he loves us. There's not one second-rate Christian in this room. He 100% takes us as his own children. He loves us that much. There's no differentiating between one and another Christian. We're brought in, and we are brought in by faith in Jesus Christ, and we're all equal. Second, you see in this group that they're embraced by the other believers. It took a little convincing, right? But they became embraced by other believers. And I, I think about this church. They had some practice in this sense because the Jerusalem church, do you remember who they had a hard time accepting at first who was a Jewish person? Saul. Remember, Barnabas came and he's like, come on, come on, guys. It really was genuine. He's a convert. They're like, he was killing our family members. So they had a little bit of practice, and they had to embrace one of their own, uh, a, a Jew. But they had to embrace now a whole new batch of other believers. For, for some of us in here, we have certain people will embrace easily, readily, and others that were a little more hesitant. Other believers were going to stand up. And it may be their political views. You're like, I can embrace anybody. Have a guy come in here pushing a shopping cart, been living on the street, been in prison. I could hug that guy, and I'll love him like no tomorrow. Okay, well, let's say he's a guy that, uh, you know, is, is on the Democratic campaign, you know, and he's, he's doing that. Well, now that's a little different because, or maybe you're vice versa. You're like, I don't care, Democrat, Republican, I, I love them all the same. But... He, he's on drugs. Well, okay, well, the drug thing, now that's something you get to, right? We need to embrace all believers, and that's part of the maturing process is being brought in. So first you're born. We talked about that process. You're born, but then you're brought in. You're held, right? Your parents, I mean, that's an important part of growing up and maturing. They've done scientific studies about babies that aren't held, and how they don't develop uh, in many ways, as well as children who are held regularly. Well, we need to be embraced as believers. And I will say this, that takes building some relationships in here. When you're in the messy, sticky situations of your life, allowing others to embrace you and get to know you. And that's what they did here. They, they bring these Gentiles in. They embrace them, don't they? Next, they were built up. And primarily that happened to, through Barnabas. And it said that Barnabas encouraged them to stay true to the Lord. That word encouraged, I love it. It's the, it's the idea of the word exhort. And we have a gift. I think some people have a gift of exhortation, Scripture talks about. And it means to be called along to one side. The whole picture in my mind here is you're driving the car and someone's sitting in the passenger seat kind of helping co-pilot or look for blind spots. We got the new, not new, but we got a, a minivan. And I tell you, that sucker it has some blind spots in it. For me, I, I've, I've almost run into probably half a dozen people. Carly's like, watch out! <laughs> in a parking lot, I'm like getting ready to back into somebody. I got blind spots. And so someone has to come alongside 
And really, so that's, it's important that the, the stronger encourage the weaker. And so the reality of it is I have strengths and I have weaknesses. Any of you that even know me a little bit know I have weaknesses. And you have strengths and you have weaknesses. And in many ways, our strengths and our weaknesses are very different, very different. And I do need you as much as you guys need me. And we need to come along beside one another and that requires getting to know each other and spending time together. And we need to be able to help each other with our blind spots. We need to be able to go watch out. There's a bump in the road. Good job on missing the guy on the motorcycle. Good job. Watch out for that. Slow down. There's a cop. Just kidding. You're already going slow. <laughs> right? Police officer. Better, better ways to have. Um, but we all need each other. I talked to a guy this week. Um, guy I hadn't talked to for quite a while. He's been through all life's ups and downs, you know. And he said, uh, a, a guy I really love. And he, he, he called, we were texting back and forth, and he said something to the effect of, I want to get your seeker counsel on something. I was like, okay, cool. Uh, so we got on the phone, caught up a little bit. And the basic question he wanted to ask was he was, so he got a, uh, he went to rehab, he had a drinking problem, and then he got out of rehab, got cleaned up for a while, and then he got uh, hooked on meth for a while, and then had a bunch of nutty stuff kind of happen there, and then got, got, got himself back on track, a believer, but just going through all, all kinds of, and his question to me was, do I have to go to church? Do I need to be going to church? I told Carly this, and she's like, why would he call a pastor and ask if he had a good <laughs> He knows what answer he's gonna get. Um, so as I talked to him, I said, hey, listen, man. I said, we all have blind spots, and we need to be in community with other people so they can see our blind spots. He's like, in fact, he said, I've been hanging out with, and I knew the guy's name. I've been hanging out with so-and-so a little bit, who's another believer. He's like, you know, we'll have a few beers together every now and then. And I, I said, here's the deal, and I'm not downing. If you have a beer, don't, don't freak out here on me right now. I was like, but here's the thing. Sometimes we gravitate towards people that have the exact same blind spots that we have. And so it's important for us to be a part of a body and that building up process is stronger coming along and encouraging coming alongside the weaker. And that doesn't mean like, oh, I've been a Christian for 15 years. I've been going to this church for six years. How long? We're talking about we all have strengths and weaknesses where you're strong. Give somebody some help, some insight, some wisdom, some love, some encouragement, some support and vice versa, where they're strong, you know what I'm saying, right? So, being built up. Next, it talks about the fact that they went and got Paul, Barnabas said, hey, I'm going to go get Saul, Paul, and I want him to help me out. So they went and got Saul from Tarsus. Now Saul, this has been about a 10-year time span. So they went and got Saul from Tarsus and brought him back to the Gentiles. And he was the guy who was perfectly suited for this. And so what I think it's interesting to see is Barnabas went and got him. And it wasn't, Barnabas wasn't like, hey, this is my, I got the Antioch group. They're my, they're my clan. They're the guys I'm going to look after. This is my territory. Back off. I don't want anybody else. He realized that there was somebody maybe better suited to minister there. And he said, go get Saul. And they brought Saul. And did it say that Saul did a weekend seminar and left? 
Saul emailed him a couple links to some awesome podcast and left. No, he stayed there with them for a year. And he stayed there with them for a year, and they taught these Christians, and they encouraged these Christians to stay true to the Lord. And the process of us being built up does take teamwork. It happens, you know, they say it takes a village, right? It takes a congregation to mature a believer. It takes a congregation to mature a believer. If you want to argue about that, I'd love to argue with you about it. If you think there's another way to maturity, but it takes a community of believers, we'll say, to, to gain maturity. And so that doesn't happen right away. It takes teamwork, and it does take time. And let me just say this. If you're discouraged with your growth or someone else's growth, realize it takes time. And sometimes things are happening that are imperceptible. Percept you can't see them happening. And you look at some of these awesome, mighty trees you'll see, and you know, on a Facebook, people want to have pictures of trees, these awesome big old oak trees out in the field with the cool saying. You know what? Those trees did not grow overnight. Those trees weathered many storms. Those trees saw days of drought. And all those things, and even the winds, contribute to that tree's strength and growth. And the same is true for us to realize that we're in a process of being built up and it is going to take time for all of us. And so we can be encouraged wherever you are. And if you're discouraged with someone else, like, I don't know why this idiot won't get it, man. I've been telling him for a year the same truth. And I can say we all get frustrated with each other because we all have different blind spots. And they're wondering why you. You're sitting there wondering why they. And they're wondering why hasn't he. And so the reality is, let's give grace to one another and realize that takes some time. Being built up takes time. Maturity takes time. And next we see that this group, these Gentiles, they began to bless others, right? So they didn't just sit there and go, oh, Paul, oh, Barnabas, this is awesome. Can we have some more lessons? We want more. We just want to sit back and soak up, man. No, what they did was they heard that there was a need, and then they met it. They saw a need, and they made a decision. The, the, the word in there is that they decided, they made a choice to meet that need. And that is, I would say, one of the pinnacles of maturity is that you become a contributor, right? You don't expect your infant to be contributing to your household unless it's sleepless nights and... <laughs> pukey messes. But as we grow up, the expectation is that there's going to be some kind of con contribution, some kind of blessing, some kind of helping. And so a lot of times for us, even in this congregation, there are needs in this body. There are financial needs. There are needs that people need friendship. There are needs where people need instruction. People need your wisdom. People need your friendship. There are needs here. So if we, have, if we see needs, that's one of our steps in maturity is not just to sit back and soak up, but that we would be people that would step up and decide to meet those needs. And what they do? It says they gave what they could. It says, in fact, it says here, it says um, the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren in Judea. And this wasn't their clan. This was the Jewish people they went and sent this to. What a beautiful picture of how this all goes full, full circle. 
It says, according to his ability. And we all have different resources in here. We all have different amounts of time. We all have different talents. We all have different treasures as far as uh, material goods or possessions. And we all have the opportunity to bless others based on our own ability. And that is one of the things of maturity. And so, if you, if you will, now let's take a step back. We're not going there yet. All right. There you go. So, if you would, just kind of take a step back here with, and look at this. Being brought in, being built up, and then blessing others, that whole process. Let me say one other thing about maturity. Maturity, Christian maturity, is not measured in how many years you've been saved. It's not measured in how many Bible verses you know. Christian maturity is not measured in how many ministries you serve in. It's not Christian maturity, spiritual maturity, is not measured in uh, all the right lingo. That is not spiritual maturity, Christian maturity. You want to know what Christian maturity is? It's as simple as this. The more you look like Christ, the more mature you are. That's the, the icon of maturity. Becoming more like Christ. The more you are becoming like Christ in his character, loving, gentle, kind, not wearing a toga and getting long hair. I'm not talking about that. When wearing sandals everywhere, I'm talking about having the heart, the attitude, the mindset that Jesus Christ had towards others. That's maturity. And if you look at this, that's exactly what goes on here, isn't it? It's a picture of Jesus Christ bringing people in. He brought us in, building people up. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He's given us a new name. He's given us new life. Has he built us up? The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, he's built us up. Blessed us. He gave. He gave his life. He got out. Giving is going to cost you something. It costs Jesus Christ everything. It's going to cost you probably first off your comfort. As you're going to have to step out to be one that blesses others. You're probably going to have to step out of your comfort zone. Don't know too many people that are really blessing others and totally 100% inside their comfort zone. And Jesus Christ did all those things. So when we think about spiritual maturity, we think about becoming like Christ. When we see this process of growth, of bringing others in, building others up, and then blessing others, it's a picture of Jesus Christ and what Christ has done for us. Now let's be like Christ and do that for others. Let's bring others in. Let's build others up. And as we've been built up, let's bless others outside. Let me pray one more time with these guys come up to lead us in one final song. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for the life that we have because of him. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you that you have given us new life and hope for the future, eternal life. Thank you for bringing us into this body. Help this body to be one that just really helps each other to grow, challenges each other, encourages each other. Father, I thank you for this scripture in particular that we were able to look at today. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.